The Discerning Geeks Portal's Babylon 5 spin-off podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to review each episode of Babylon 5, a show about officers, telepaths, criminals, and ambassadors, humans and aliens wrapped in five seasons of storytelling, standing tall amongst the rest. It can be a classic show, but it's our lasting best hope, for science fiction. These are our reviews of the original Babylon 5 TV show. The year is 2022. The name of the podcast is Discerning Lurkers Portal. Welcome back, Discerning Lurkers, to the Discerning Lurkers Portal, a Babylon 5 podcast, hosted by my friend and Babylon 5 expert, Todd, and myself, a fair newbie to the Babylon 5 universe. Todd, how are we doing this evening? I'm about to lose my freaking mind. (laughs) (laughs) We've only been doing this for about a year and a half now and i feel like a newbie tonight trying to figure out this whole podcasting thing (laughs) we were doing fine at first and then i can't remember if you couldn't hear me but then i couldn't hear you and we kept switching back and forth and we kept turning stuff on and off and and tried resetting the zencaster page and and then we finally could hear each other but then i could hear popping on, on your microphone i'm about ready to count podcasting equipment and podcasting software in the same category as Christmas tree lights, weed eaters, <laughs> and uh, inkjet printers as technologies that do not work half the time. Well, that's that, that's pretty fair. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, we started podcasting, you know, and, and just tried to keep it simple. And for those listeners out there that, you know, enjoy this show and and are listening, I would say that you'd be amazed at how much little things kind of in the background have to go on just to make a 25, 30 minute recording for you to listen to. (sighs) (laughs) It's sometimes feels like a lot of trouble and a lot of work, but, but we enjoy it. Um, Hope you enjoy it. And we are here and hopefully ready for another episode on Babylon 5. And we are in, it's uh, episode six in season one, but this will be our, our seventh episode if I'm not, because we really didn't, the TV movie didn't kind of count in the the counting for one through you know the season right. episode. So, um, and we did that one first because we wanted to start off with things kind of in order. So this will be our, our seventh episode on Babylon Five, but it's episode six called Mind War. And I've got a quick just synopsis for us on this, and then we'll start breaking it down and going through the levels like we always do with each of these episodes. So, Psychor sent some Psychops to track down a rogue telepath with links to Talia Winter's past um, at Babylon 5. And Sinclair's girlfriend, Catherine, finds herself being saved by a very unlikely source when she has a mysterious encounter while surveying a planet in Narn space. And so we've got two main plots going on here in Mind War. Todd, what was your first preliminary kind of feel on this this episode? 
Uh, well, you want me to do the rest of Blue Sector first? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm skipping already Red. See, it has been a little while since we've recorded. Yeah. Get and, on. and also, did you say the title of the episode? I think so. I, th- I thought I said Mind War. You, you may have. It's such a short title that you may have said it. Maybe my brain was all over the place. G- guys, in addition to our <laughs> technical difficulties, we've also had an unintentional hiatus from recording for both this <laughs> podcast and our other podcasts. So we're all over the place tonight. Anyway, yes. So Mind War is transmission number 106 and production number 110. Uh, as I've mentioned before, some of season one was filmed a little bit out of order, and that was done... Uh, intentionally for various logistical reasons, but there's actually a little bit more to that. And it has to do with uh, the main guest star that I'll mention in a minute. Uh, The original air date was March 2nd, 1994. And we just happened to be recording in early March right now. It might be a while before this episode comes out, but recording in early March. So that makes uh, just a few days ago, the uh, did it, did it, let me see, doing my, my math, uh, the 28th anniversary of this episode. It was written by J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Bruce Seth Green. This is his second of five episodes, and I think all of his episodes fall in season one, and all of them are some of the better episodes. And this episode is probably best known for being the first appearance of Walter Koenig from Star Trek, uh, of course, famous for playing uh, Chekhov in Star Trek. And he plays the character Alfred Bester here in Babylon 5. And... Uh, some of the circumstances that led to him being able to be in this episode rather than another one is part of the reason that this uh, episode falls where it does in the transmission order. Yep. There you go. Yeah. Sadly, guys, we may be a little out of practice, so bear with us. Yeah. We'll get back into, we'll get back into the swing of it and uh, knock these out as we go. Please watch your step. This is a low gravity area. Please hold handrails at all times leaving blue sector now entering red sector uh, but yeah what were your what was your initial take on this episode do you like it i do like it and it is one of the better episodes of season one but i think after having seen it a few times now i kind of find it to be more informative and intriguing than i do entertaining or exciting and i can elaborate more on this later but i think it kind of comes from part of this episode setting up things that are not 100% completely fulfilled later and not revisited again. It is a good introduction to Alfred Bester and Psychor and things like that, but there's more to it that I think could have been developed more and that they don't quite get there. Uh, and so in a way, I actually end up liking the Sakai subplot almost as good, if not better, even though that's a smaller subplot and at least partially because of a conversation that she has with Jakar at the end. Yeah, this one's a, it was a good episode. It really was, but it was actually good because of kind of the moments of wow and some kind of intriguing things that happen more than just like overall strength. It's it's not like a nonstop episode. I kind of felt it was a little slow in some spots Yeah, uh, in developing, but yeah, there was a lot of cool moments and, and you know, when we get into the the moments with uh, Catherine, you know, at, uh, what was the name of that planet? It's uh, like Sigma 957, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, where, where she's has an encounter. Uh, that was pretty awesome. And I did like 
the buildup and, and we get to see more and more of kind of the power and, and some of the in, things going on with the Psychops uh, and the Psychor. But uh, I don't know. So far, the Psychor is kind of a weak link for me in Babylon 5. Um, and I'm not really sure why. I'm just not totally invested in the storyline yet. And, and maybe it'll get better as, as I kind of delve into more and more episodes. But so far, um, you know, there's a lot more interesting things going on that, that I like. And, and the Psychor kind of seems to be a, a, a side quest, but it, a, only a semi-interesting one so far. Yeah, and it will kind of remain that way throughout the series. Uh, now, one thing that is good about it is it kind of makes Babylon 5 very unique because in most sci-fi shows, if we do get psionics in some form, it's usually through an alien race. The thing that's different about Babylon 5 is even humans have telepaths. And obviously, we don't have them now in our time period, which means that they sprung up sometime in the future in the Babylon 5 universe. And there's a little bit of backstory there. And they actually explain that maybe a little bit better in some of the books. In fact, there's one book trilogy that even I didn't get around to reading all of, and it might be explained more there. Uh, so it's not super duper explained in the series. It, it, I mean, it kind of, they might touch on it a little bit, uh, but it is kind of interesting to see these psionics among even humans. And like I said, that makes Babylon 5 unique, but it is always kind of a side thing to a certain extent. Well, and I mean, Alfred Bester is kind of a cool character already. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, okay, at least we have this cool character that we know is coming back occasionally. Um, and and that's kind of cool. So. Yeah. In fact, I forgot to fact check this, but I thought about this the other day. I think that even though he's a recurring character, so he kind of comes and goes, I think he is still in total through all five seasons in more episodes than some people who are in the opening credits. Uh, oh, wow. it, like, um, <laughs> Uh, somebody who is in season two that I don't know if you're familiar with yet. Uh, uh, oh, and I'm blanking on the actor's name, but he plays a Star Fury pilot. If I remember correctly, he is in only six episodes, even though he's in the opening credits of every episode. And I'm pretty sure that Alfred Bester comes uh, to, to Battle on Five more than six times over the five years. And I think even the actress that plays Natath, I'm not sure that she's in that many episodes. And she's kind of considered a main cast member, and she's in opening credits and stuff like that. So, yeah, in some ways, Alfred Bester is just as important, if not more so, than some people who are, who are supposedly in full seasons. Confirmed. The character of Natoth was in five season one episodes, two season two episodes, played by a different actress, and one more appearance later in the series but with little or no dialogue, for a total of eight. The character of Warren Keffer was in only six season two episodes despite being in the opening credits the entire season. Psychop Alfred Bester appeared in 12 episodes. Two-thirds of those were in the final two seasons. And, he was supposed to return for at least one episode of the spin-off, Crusade before it was canceled partway through season one. The only major recurring character to be in more episodes was Mr. Morden at 13. Okay. Yep. We kind of talked about, you know, there's there's definitely the an A plot and a B plot in this episode. We've got the the Psychor, you know, chasing down Jason, Ironheart, mm-hmm. 
and and we learn a lot about kind of the psychor and what's going on a little bit behind the scenes that maybe they're a little more nefarious than than just kind of hiring out people to kind of help with deals and make sure somebody's not lying um you know that there's a, a pretty good little plot going on there and then of course we have the the b plot with sakai uh, investigating sigma 957 so two plots um what else what else is going on in this episode tom well, a little bit of the world building that's going on here is that Jason Ironheart explains some of the ways that that Psychor works, and he says that you know most people think that the government controls Psychor, but it's actually starting to be the other way around, and that's a little bit of a hint as to some things that that will happen a little bit later, um, and um, one of the reasons that I said that this is kind of like more of an informative episode that is an entertaining episode. Is it similar to an episode we had a, a few episodes ago? It was infection and infection is not one of the better episodes, but one of the main redeeming qualities is it tells us a little bit about organic technology. Well, this episode tells us a little bit about Psychor, the way they work and the fact that they are trying to develop telekinetic weapons uh, like him. He also goes through some statistics to explain that one in 1,000 humans have telepathy, but one in 10,000 telepaths have telekinesis, but half of them are clinically insane. Um, and he kind of rattles that off, and I'm sure those are just uh, you know rough rounded numbers. But I was thinking, all right, so how many people is that really? So I was estimating that by uh, that time period, let's just say that there are 10 billion people on Earth. That means that there would be 10 million telepaths, 1,000 telekinetics, but 500 of those would be insane. But there might actually be 500 telekinetics that can actually, you know, kind of retain their, their faculties and, and perform telekinesis. And if you think by then, there are probably somewhere around 250 to, to 500 different nations. I, I don't know if there would be more nations because the population would expand or if things have kind of collapsed or, or condensed by that point to where there, there are fewer nations. But I guess that means there would be around one to three telekinetics per country uh, yeah. if Psychor still has control of them. So I thought that was kind of a little bit of neat information to get. That is pretty cool. I'll tell you, one of the things I noticed a little bit about this episode was there felt like there was a few more scenes than we had had in the past, kind of with the computer graphic inside Babylon 5. Like there's a the whole scene where they're in um, kind of a, a, a lift or whatever. No, it's not a lift because it doesn't go up, but... Uh, shuttle inside that's carrying them through the hydroponics area or whatever. And you kind of get a, a lot of the computer graphics in the background. And I just picked up on that a little bit more this episode than I had seen in previous ones. And so I don't know if by now they're ramping up the budget a little bit or what, or just, just so happened that that was kind of the way they did these scenes. Did you notice any of that? Uh, a little bit. And yeah, I'm not sure if this is the first time we see that. And we don't 
often see that. But yeah, what they're doing is they're taking the core shuttle. And you know how I have yeah. edited in the the bumpers in between our different segments in yep. in this podcast, and the voice says, you know, now leaving. Uh, blue sector entering red sector, but it also says now entering a low gravity area. Well, that's the core shuttle. And you notice it's kind of in the very middle of the cylindrical section of Babylon 5. Well, because of the spinning creating the the gravity that they feel in the center, there's very low gravity. And so that's why they're not moving around very much on the on the core shuttle. And when they do, they kind of have to kind of hold handrails. In fact, in the pilot movie, I think that there was a scene that was on the core shuttle where they're actually kind of strapped in, uh, where they actually have these bars that go down kind of like on a roller coaster. And um, so because of that, I'm pretty sure this is not the first time that we've seen the core shuttle. And then, of course, out the window of the core shuttle, you can see, like you said, the hydroponics, the garden area. I think that is at least part of that is green sector. And it's still a little bit questionable where the sectors begin and end. So part of that might also be red sector. But um, but yeah, that's where you get to see where they're always talking about planting things in the garden, like vegetables and and where you're not supposed to plant a coffee <laughs> coffee plant, which right. I think might be mentioned in a future episode. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and I think there are even like little rivers and lakes, and I think that's also where the Zen Garden is. Uh, and that's that area will also be kind of a very big scene in uh in one episode of season three so we'll see it every once in a while yeah you talk about ramping up the graphics and maybe uh increasing the budget it could be that maybe the graphics for this budget or, or the the budget for the graphics in this episode might have yeah made this a more expensive episode in some ways and so in other episodes they might have had to save money in, in those same areas what about you? What else did you like about this episode? Uh, well, like I said, I, I like it for being informative on things about Psychor. And then I've already mentioned how I really like the Sigma 957 subplot. Granted, not a whole lot happens. Catherine Sakai goes. She kind of goes kind of stubbornly against Jakar's advice. She goes, not a whole lot happens once she's there and she gets into trouble while she's there. And Jakar kind of suspects that that might happen to her. So he's already kind of ready to help her. Uh, The important thing is that it is the first that we get a mention and and an actual uh, visual of the walkers of Sigma, Sigma 957. We won't see them very often, but just often enough that they are kind of pivotal in something that happens later. So it's good that we kind of get the first hint of them. And then, like I said, probably my favorite part of the episode is something that we'll probably talk about in Green Sector, which is a conversation between Sakai and Jakar. And uh, so I kind of like that the plot kind of leads to that really nice moment. I don't know if I would call it a like, but something that is definitely noticeable is that the music seems kind of different in this episode. And I think it's intentionally more high pitched and psychedelic, maybe to match that kind of inner thought type aspect that we might be getting from Jason Ironheart. So yeah, those are, those are kind of the highlights of the episode. Okay. Okay. How about you? Um, Like I said, I I enjoyed the graphics. I, I did enjoy the getting a little bit more of a feel for an understanding of the psychor um you know at the end of our episode we rate on the psychor 
levels from one to 12. And this is kind of when it's almost kind of explained. Uh, we're kind of told that, you know, Talia Winters is just five and that this guy coming in, you know, he was a teacher and all the teachers are level tens. Um, and these cops that come are level 12s because, you know, they have to be the ones to keep everybody else in line. So they have to be kind of the most powerful. So we get a lot of information on the, uh, the Psychor in this. And I thought that was cool. Are we ready to move on to green sector? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Now entering green sector. So yeah, let's get into it. This is where we kind of talk about more about the characters, um, which is always kind of one of our fun sections. And I think this one's going to be kind of a full section for us in this episode. You already mentioned first. Ex- this is the first appearance of um, Alfred Bester. Um, so yeah, um, tell us a little bit about Bester. Uh, yeah, he's a psychop, which means he's a P twelve, and uh, he is. As I've already said, he's definitely going to be making some more appearances. He's kind of going to be a little bit of a villain in a way, but of course, because everything is complicated on Babylon five, I don't want to give too much away because we're, we're nowhere near spoiler space yet, but let's just say that the, the staff of Babylon five might have to kind of sort of depend on him in at least one episode, a little bit. Sometimes you have to work with your enemy against a, a bigger enemy. So that might happen. Uh, one little bit of trivia about uh, the behind the scenes casting of Walter Koenig. He was actually meant to be in a different episode. He was going to play night two in an episode called and the sky full of stars, which is actually uh, broadcast after this one. Uh, the problem is that Walter Koenig had a heart attack around that time. So obviously he was recovering and couldn't be in that episode. Uh, and J. Michael Straczynski was already pretty familiar with him, not just from Star Trek, but also from theater. And so he really wanted Walter Koenig to be in an episode. And, and they might have even known each other. And maybe, so maybe Walter Koenig was enthusiastic to be in Babylon 5, too. Um, but uh, so JMS gave him a spot in a different episode. It ended up being this one. And it ended up being good for Babylon 5 because if he had been in that other episode, it would have been a one shot. But by being Bester he came back. That was meant to be a recurring character. And so he, we get to see more of him. So while I'm sure that nobody would wish a heart attack on Walter Koenig, including Walter Koenig himself, (laughs) uh, just if you really compartmentalize things in terms of battle on five, it worked out for the best. It was kind of a little bit of a silver lining of something that was bad that happened to him. And obviously he recovered and is is one of the remaining cast members of the original Star Trek today. So uh, I yeah. assume that he not just survived, but but thrived uh, afterwards. So, yeah, that, that's one thing that kind of worked out well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, speaking of characters, we got to see um, Catherine Sakai again. This was the second time we get to see her. Um but I've kind of got it on pretty good authority that I think you mentioned in previous episode that we don't get a whole lot more of her. That no. She ends up only being in a few episodes. So. Yeah. And it's really weird because you would think that she would be a bigger presence. In fact, I was listening to another Babylon five podcast and they were saying it was kind of a shame that she wasn't because she needed to be a bigger deal to care about her more and also her relationship with Sinclair. And especially since, uh, you know, one of the other times that she does appear 
it's significant enough to where you wish that you were more emotionally invested in their relationship. And she's just in so few that it's hard to get, to get there. Um, I think I do like this appearance maybe more than her first time around though. Uh huh. I think so too. I did too. Yep. And what else? Do we have any other characters that uh, need, we need to mention? Yeah, this is the first appearance of Garibaldi's aide, uh, played by Macaulay Bruton. Um, he's going to make several appearances, and it might be a good idea to kind of keep your eye on him. Uh, the weird thing is that I'm not positive that he gets a name, because in one of the sources that I look at for information, he is just referred to as Garibaldi's aide. But then in another source, I think he does get a name, and but maybe not right away. Uh, so maybe his name is dropped in a future episode, or maybe somebody knows his name through just behind the scenes uh, stuff that, that JMS has done online, but it was never mentioned on air in the episode. Uh, but yeah, keep an eye on, on that character uh, just in case. Okay. Okay. So we had a, a, a missing character this episode. I don't, I don't really, I mean, kind of some of these episodes, it's interesting to just kind of take note. It's like, who's there and who's not, mm. you know? Um, and yeah, this was an episode without Londo. Yeah, this not, the, I think we've had one other one without Londo, if I remember correctly. But this one, we have Jakar, but not Londo. And I think in the other one, we didn't have either one. Yeah, in my notes, I've got that it's the, the first one that has Jakar without Londo. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'm not positive, but I'm not sure Delenn was in it either. I'm not sure she was. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. And I know we, I don't, I think we mentioned it in our first episode, but we know that there was some kind of, there were some budget constraints, I think, on this. So it, it's interesting that you have some episodes where these main characters aren't there. And, um, but it's also interesting because they, we don't forget them. You know, it's almost like, you know, they're in the background. It's just they didn't play a part in this role. So in this plot. So, yeah, because the cast was so big, but the budget wasn't that high. JMS did have to spread everybody out. So even some of the big players like Jakar, Londo and Delenn were in, I think it's somewhere around 15 to 16 episodes per season or maybe even fewer than that. Uh, Some of the lesser characters like uh Lanier and Veer I think they might be in something like I, I'm just guessing here something around seven to ten maybe 12 at the most uh he kind of had to intentionally work their contracts that way to where they weren't in that many episodes in order to keep the budget down I think hardly anybody is in all 22 episodes of a season and if anybody is it's usually the human characters okay what else? Who, anybody other characters make an appearance here that we want to mention? Well, of course, we have Jason Ironheart. So I just thought I'd mention the actor that plays him is William, Will, excuse me, William Allen Young. And then Felicity Waterman plays the female psychop known as Kelsey. Um, and I assume that's a last name. I don't think we get a first name for yeah. her. Uh, I think they call her Miss Kelsey. That's yeah. the only thing I, I had written down. I kept kind of listening for another name and I never got one before she got like vaporized kind of thing. Yeah. Atomized. I don't. (laughs) Oh yeah. And that reminds me of something I should have put in Brown sector. I'm glad you reminded me. 
Don't don't okay. forget something about Kelsey in, uh, okay. in Brown Sector. Kelsey. There's a little nitpick. Okay. We've already kind of mentioned a big part of this plot and, and the biggest kind of character development was a lot of kind of Talia's backstory or her, we get to hear about her kind of education a little bit in the past. And we know that she's a, in the psych core and her feelings on the psych core. And we get to see those change a little bit kind of through the interactions with Ironheart. And we find out that they were romantically involved. It's interesting because whenever we do an episode, you kind of have your notes and I get to look ahead and, and I make my notes and I'm not nearly as good at, at passing them on to you ahead of time. But I always, when we get to the quote section, I'm always amazed that we normally double up. And yeah, I think yeah. I have two, at least two of the ones that you have, but I actually did have uh, the quote where she talked about kind of this relationship with, with Ironheart. Uh, just because I thought it was kind of neat uh, and, and it was kind of romantic the way she described it. So I'll, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll start off with that quote. It says, do you know what it's like when telepaths make love commander? You drop a, every defense and it's all mirrors reflecting each other's feelings deeper and deeper until somewhere along the line, your souls mix a feeling so profound, it makes you hurt. It's the only moment in a telepath's life when you no longer hear the voices. And I was just like, that's a really kind of cool way to describe, you know, this relationship that she had um, and kind of giving a little bit extra feeling um, and background with the telepaths. Um, kind of letting us know that they hear these voices and, and they have to be cognizant of trying to shut them out. Um, but then when two telepaths make love, I, I love how she described it as like mirrors reflecting back on each other and, and kind of getting lost in that. Hmm. Um, I just thought it was cool. So that was one of the ones I had that you didn't have. Um, and it is ahead. interesting and it is informative. Like I said, there are a lot of things about this episode that are informative. But there's also something related to that that quote, or at least the first part of it, that is in Brown Sector for me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But what other quotes did you have? Okay. Since we doubled up, which one do you want me to not take? Since <laughs> you can, or, or or which one should I take? So I actually had the one um, with the uh, with Ivanova. So if you want to do the other two, that was cool. Okay, so early on, Jakar, he has a conversation with Sakai, and there's more to it than just this, but I love the the part that he says, I think near the end of it, where he says, no one here is, is exactly what he appears. Not Malari, not Delenn, not Sinclair, and not me. And I thought that was pretty cool, because in a way, he's right, because when you think about it, they uh, one of the pilots in this episode that rescues Sakai mentions that Jakar is third circle. And uh, some of the behind the scenes information uh, reveals that the Narn ruling body is in different circles. I think it's something like nine or 10 different circles. So the fact that he's in the third circle means he's actually kind of in a way part of the uh, Narn government in addition to being the ambassador to Babylon 5. 
we already know from previous episodes that there's some connection between Delenn and the Grey Council, which is the leading body yep. of the Minbari. Uh, Londo is pretty much just an ambassador, but later on, he'll take on various leadership roles uh, in other ways. And then, uh, of course, uh, Sinclair himself is the commander of the station, but he is acting kind of like an ambassador, which if I, if I get really nitpicky, I would think I, I kind of feel like that might be one flaw of the whole setup of Babylon <laughs> five. I kind of feel like earth ought to have a full fledged ambassador there too, but then the cast would grow even more. So, so you've got all these people who have these dual roles and some of sometimes that other role is, is a secret. And so Jakar is kind of telling the truth. Nobody's there is exactly who he appears. They've, they've all got these different facades that they're uh, putting up and, and what, what they might be on the station. They're not necessarily the same thing back home. Yep. No, I like that. And you're kind of, you're very right. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but you would kind of think the commander of the station would have a whole lot more things important to do than being the ambassador, that that would be a separate role. But it it, it is understandable because, you know, in the TV show, we would, yeah, that would just add a whole nother character that we didn't need. Yeah, because the commander of the station has to deal with, uh, uh, water production reports, waste yeah. reclamation reports. He's got to go around and shoot PPGs at uh, <laughs> at mad bombers that are on the station, and he's also got to go to the council chamber and take a vote on something. It and then when he can't, he's got to put Ivanova in charge, and Ivanova is a lieutenant commander <laughs> in her twenties, and she's representing all of Earth in what is kind of the equivalent of the United Nations among uh, you know galactic empires yeah i can't help but wonder if the reboot ever happens if that might be something that jms corrects or Maybe. if there's actually some real world logic that goes behind uh wrapping all that into one person and that he does the same thing the second time around i don't know so i'm gonna go ahead and get to my next quote and uh i just i thought this was hilarious and, and apparently you did too because i saw it on your list but it was uh the core cop, um, Kelsey, was Miss Kelsey was all we, we got from her name. Uh, she's like, you're not helping the situation. And then Ivanova just looks at her and says, lady, you are the situation. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was very just like blunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and put her back in her place. And, and also summed up kind of what was going on. You know, these people come in and, you know, oh, we have this situation, and to the people on Babylon Five, it's like, no, you're the only ones that are causing the situation. Yeah. If you not showed up, we would have been fine. And then I'm not going to take your quote, but I just thought it was really funny because we almost wrote it down the same way. Your quote feeds off of Jakar and Sakai talking, and and he, I, I had in my notes, really long ant story from Jakar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it would be too long to quote that whole exchange, but he's it. it she has uh, she's been rescued by his pilots from the uh, the run in that she has with the Walkers of Sigma nine five seven, and so they're having a discussion on why he would do it, and he was explaining his motivation, and then they get into the next part of the conversation, which is all about what the what the walkers of sigma 957 are like and how they would react to 
uh, humans or Norns or anybody that they would consider a lesser race. So yeah, he picks up an ant and he makes an analogy to how to them, they are kind of like ants. And so Sakai says, that's it. That's all you know. And Jakar says, yes, they are a mystery. And I am both terrified and reassured to know that there are still wonders in the universe that we have not yet explained everything. Whatever they are, Miss Sakai, they walk near Sigma 957. They must walk there alone. And that's one of many monologues by Jakar that we'll get over the years that, of course, uh, Andreas Katsoulis says so well. For one thing, it's one of those things that he says almost in a whisper to kind of to emphasize the kind of philosophical nature of what he's saying. And also, it's a nice comparison to the way we've seen Jakar in some of the previous episodes where he and his race, to a certain extent, are sometimes kind of seen as the villains. But here we get to see him not only saying something philosophical, but he also kind of did an act of kindness by just protecting Sakai. He didn't have to do that. Now, granted, he kind of says that it, it's part for his reason, because it, if something happened to Sinclair's girlfriend, then it would kind of mess up Sinclair. And, and why why stir up the chaos by having Sinclair kind of messed up for uh, for a while if something were to happen to Sakai? So in a way, Jakar kind of says it, it's self-interest, but it, it's it's kind of charity too. He kind of helps her out when he doesn't, when he doesn't totally need to. Um, and then he kind of has this nice analogy. So the whole exchange is, is done really well. Well, and I don't know that we talked about that much kind of in our character development, but this is another one of those moments where, and I think we had one last episode where, you know, from the beginning, Jakar was, was just kind of almost all we see is kind of the bad, you know, they're, they're going to war and he's, you know, manipulative and he's conniving and he's doing all this bad stuff. And we begin to see that he really has a good side and, and becomes more, you know, kind of leaning towards a likable character in some ways over just these, these brief moments that we kind of catch And, and it's kind of interesting to see that character start to switch, um, from how it was painted, you know, very early in the show um, and, and starting to soften in a way. So are we ready to move on to Brown Sector? Yeah, so yeah I think so. Kind of give our negatives and, and the bad stuff. Now entering Brown Sector. And you said you have one based on Sakai. So what, what you got? Uh, on Sakai, or what now? Or Kelsey? Kelsey, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Kelsey's character. You said you wanted. To, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh oh, yes, I, I almost for, forgot it because I didn't have it written down. In a way, I ha- I could have a little bit of a nitpick about her because there were a few times where the very first thing that came out of her mouth, and this is not the actress's fault. But the very first thing that came out of her mouth seemed a little bit clunky. And then there were a few times where the performance might have been a little bit wonky. I, I'm just not sure that that character was totally fleshed out, both in what she said and how she acted. It's almost like they were like, okay, Bester shows up, but he can't show up alone. Right. Uh, he, he he takes a girl with him. You know, it, I, I don't know. There, there could have been a little bit more uh, to that character. But anyway, the, the nitpick I was thinking of was when, as you said, she gets kind of vaporized. 
now I know Ironheart is kind of losing control at that moment. I'm sure that's the reason he kind of vaporizes her. But if he can do things with a thought very easily, you think he could just vaporize just her gun or, you know, use energy or, or telekinesis to just push her across the room. Does he really have to go to the extent of turning her into molecules? It, yeah. <laughs> that seems a little extreme. Uh, and he already seemed kind of remorseful about some kind of guard or somebody that he or instructor or somebody that he killed back at Psychor, because that was part of the reason that Bester and Kelsey were there because uh, Ironheart had already killed somebody. But he assured Talia and the commander that he it was an accident, that he didn't mean to, and he kind of lost control. Uh, so yes, I guess that's the reasoning here is he lost control. And so he vaporized her, but at the same time, if it's so easy for him to do certain things, why couldn't he just vaporize the weapon or just push her across the room? I don't know. It just seemed like a a step too far. And it's like one more thing for him to be remorseful. Right. Yeah. Sadly, I think when she showed up, all I could see was Star Trek Trek red shirt. Uh, It was almost like. I have to have this other person with me because somebody has to get vaporized and we don't want to do this other person who we want to have a main recurring role. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> so she was kind of the sacrificial lamb from the beginning, but um, no, I mean, that's about all I had with the, the Brown sector overall. I, you know, didn't have a whole lot of complaints. Um, do we want to go ahead and move into our gray sector? Well, I, I've got some stuff in brown sector now. Oh. In the, it, are you seeing an older version of my notes where I don't I have may, it? Because I have nothing there. So, yeah. oh, okay. I knew I added at least one thing, but uh, since it's been a while since we've recorded, I rewatched this episode a little bit, and I actually added several things. Nice. Um, Okay, so it, now I admit these are really small. None of them are huge. But when Talia and Garibaldi are in the elevator, he acts like he's checking her out from behind. <laughs> um, and I know that that's not totally out of character for him. Uh, I, I, I get that. But one thing I didn't think of before is that she's wearing a suit jacket that covers her butt. Her skirt is very long, so her legs are barely exposed, if at all. Her jacket might be a little bit form fitting, but not super form fitting. And so, and he's looking down, so it's not like he's checking out her hair. And I'm just wondering, what exactly is he checking out? He's basically just looking at a suit jacket. I don't know. And now, granted, I'm a guy too, and I know sometimes it doesn't take a whole lot. You know, sometimes a woman doesn't have to be showing skin for you to be attracted to her. But he's he's just very like really eyeing her, like really checking her out. I'm like, you can't see much from what she's wearing. I I just thought that was a little bit weird. and especially oh, since dude. he must have been thinking something, you know, really <laughs> sexual for her to actually elbow him in the gut the way uh, that she did, too. Um, and also, it's a little bit weird that he is checking her out and that he has expressed interest in her uh, when he and so many other characters express so much distrust in Psychor, yet they always seem to be attracted to the telepaths. Uh, she gets it, and later on, Lita will get it. it. It's just a little bit weird. It's like it's almost like people forget. Oh yeah, this woman I'm attracted to is part of Psychor. I, I should actually stay away from her because I don't want her reading my thoughts. So that's a little bit of a nitpick. Um, okay, so you 
uh, brought up the line of dialogue where Taya starts off saying, do you know what it's like when telepaths make love, Commander? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the explanation that she gives, yes, like I said, it's very informative, but it's also kind of awkward. It's like that's very personal to start talking about making love to, you know, a station commander. And it's it's good that she worded it the way she did because I was remembering a little bit wrong and I thought she had asked the question, have you ever wondered what it's like when telepaths make love, Commander? And if she had worded it that way, I, I would be thinking, Sinclair should just say, no, I haven't wondered and I don't really want you to tell me now. Uh, but the way she worded it, it's like she didn't give him a chance to answer but I, I just kept wondering, what is it like for him right now? I was like, wow, this is pretty awkward. This is more information than I wanted to know. Uh, and then, let me see, look at my notes. What's the last thing? Oh, well, my last little nitpick is something that I've already mentioned, which is that this episode is probably meant to be more important and relevant than it is. But due to cast changes, it never totally goes anywhere. And I can't help but wonder if things had been different as far as certain cast members remaining in place, if maybe certain things from this episode would have been revisited more in the future. Ooh, interesting. So some stuff we need to discuss in our behind the scenes gray sector coming up or kind of what's to come. So yeah. uh, anything else? Any other? Uh, Okay, let's hop on and get to Gray Sector. Now entering Gray Sector. Beware of spoiler zone at end of sector. So we always do this in two parts. We'll have a few kind of just cursory things, and then we'll have those things that are really true spoilers and, and behind-the-scenes stuff uh, or, or spoilers for future episodes. So if you're like me and you are kind of watching them as we go along or you aren't caught up with all the episodes, we'll give you a break where we'll pause and let you jump off so that uh, we won't spoil anything for you. But before we do that, is there some behind the scenes stuff that you want to give us, Todd? Uh, yeah, there's a little bit. Okay. So I've already explained the whole thing about the heart attack and having to reschedule and, and mm -hmm. best for being a different episode. Okay. But in addition to that, this was originally supposed to air closer to 10th as the 10th episode, but the studio was so happy with it. They asked if it could air sooner. So that's how it got pushed up to number six. Um, you may have noticed that when Bester was leaving, he did this weird finger salute, like uh, like uh -huh. he was doing the OK symbol and said, be seeing you. That is a, a nod, an homage, and I think an intentional one to the 1960s TV show, The Prisoner. And I'm, in fact, I'm not sure that that will be the last homage to The Prisoner that is done hmm. in Babylon 5. I think uh, J. Michael Straczynski is probably a fan of that show. Uh, also... Uh, the name Alfred Bester is itself another homage to the author Alfred Bester who wrote the, the Demolished Man. And The Demolished Man is a novel about telepaths. So JMS probably got some ideas from that book and named this character after the author. And then uh, from the script books, uh, there was a mention that when Walter Koenig was at lunch and he got his lunch tray and he went to the table, the rest of the cast stood at attention. And it was explained to him that, that that's something the military does for, for a senior officer. And so they were doing it for him, obviously in reference to him being a veteran of science fiction by being Pavel Chekhov on Star Trek. And apparently Walter loved it. Awesome. 
Yeah, I think that would be cool to be have somebody like that who's just an icon, and then they come on the show that you're kind of, I don't want to say mimicking, but or, or following in the footsteps of, you know, that, that's pretty cool to have somebody like that on the set at any time. I think that's pretty cool. All righty. Is there anything else we want to discuss before we get into our ratings and then we get into our spoiler zone? Uh, no, that's all for me. Okay. Okay. So for our listeners, like we mentioned, we rate these on the Psycore scale. So from a P1 to a P12, 12 being the highest and best you could get. Um, Todd, where do you have Mind War on your scale? Well, this is definitely a very good episode. And I've said very time, several times, more informative than actually enjoyable. So I'm going to give it a good score, but it doesn't cross the line into the double digits for me. So I'm going to give it a P9. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm right there with you. I'm a little bit behind uh, on you. Um, just then that I, I see the foreshadowing, but it was a little bit of a slow episode. So for me, it got a P8. Oh, okay. So an so eight out of 12. So, and so for our listeners that don't want to get into that spoiler zone where we may discuss some things that this foreshadow this episode foreshadows or, or getting into some details about things coming up on future episodes. This will be where we say goodbye. Um, we would encourage you to interact with us. You can do that on our discerning geeks, uh, Facebook page, the discerning geeks portal. You can also do it on our email the discerning lurkers at gmail.com and i don't think we have a twitter for this one yet do we Tom? Uh, you can do it on at discerning geeks yeah mm-hmm. uh, since we're feeding off of our uh, other podcasts and as always you can find todd and i on the discerning geeks portal podcast where we discuss movies and other geek things um, and we've got a couple other friends that join us there And we hope that we see you back here for our next episode. But uh, yeah, for those that want to hop off, this is where we get into the spoiler zone. Yeah, thank you for listening. All right. So the biggest one I have to ask about, Todd. Okay. You called them the walkers. I don't know that they even mentioned that in the episode. Uh, We just kind of get that they are this thing that shows up and drains the power at uh, Sigma 957. I thought for some reason they were related to the shadow. Is that correct or no? Uh, They are another one of the first one races similar to shadows and Vorlons. Okay. Uh, So they are a very ancient race, uh, kind of as, as Jakar implied. And, you know, very powerful. We don't learn much about them. They are very enigmatic the way the shadows and Vorlons are. So we don't exactly learn much more about them, but they do factor into a few episodes where uh, the folks from Babylon 5 are trying to gain support in a conflict. And they are trying to enlist the help of the Walkers of Sigma 957. And I'm not sure that they're ever referred to on screen as the Walkers of Sigma 957, but they are at the very least behind the scenes uh, through fan sites and, and 
things that JMS has written uh, because of Jakar's line about how they walk there alone. Uh-huh. And so they have just been referred to as the walkers of Sigma 957. Well, I did notice, I don't know why I didn't pick it up. I think the first time I watched this, I felt like it very much looked like a ship from Shadow. But in when I watched it this time and paid close attention, I could tell that it was definitely different. It kind of had like, you know, shadowy background or whatever, but it had other characteristics to it that, that definitely kind of made it stand out as its own ship. So I was like, oh, okay. I'm- yeah. And it enters hyperspace in a weird way. Um, it kind of does the sparkly thing and, and then kind yeah. of, yeah, it doesn't open up a portal or at least not in exactly the same way as, uh, the Vorlon ships, the Vorlon ships seem to open up uh, these kind of vortexes in a similar way that the uh, jump gates do and that the technology of some of the races that, that have ships big enough to create their own jump points. And then when we get introduced to the shadows, they'll kind of shimmer in and out of hyperspace when we meet some other first one races, which again, we don't really learn much about them either, but we do see some of their ships. Each one of them has a different way. Like one of them might just kind of almost shrink or expand into view. And I can't remember how some of the others do it, but they all have their different ways of entering and exiting hyperspace. Okay. And I guess the other big is, you know, how much more are we going to get into this Psychor and, and how conniving are they? We'll definitely get a lot more of Psychor, and, and as I said, Bester will come back several times. Um, we don't get any more of Jason Ironheart. Now, he gets mentioned a few times, but we never see him again, so we never totally understand what he became. And I'm not sure that we're supposed to anyway, even if it weren't for other the changes that go on in the story arc and the cast. Maybe JMS never planned on telling us anymore. I, I don't know. But how much do you want to know about... Talia Winters and her future on the show. Well, I, I do want to know, but I, so you say we don't really, because I kind of felt like at some point we may get to see Ironheart again, because he even tells Sinclair, you know, see you in a million years or something like that. Um, but we don't get him back at all, huh? Well, I have mentioned before that JMS has a lot of the history of the Babylon 5 universe planned, like, thousands if not millions of years in both directions the past and the future so there will be other references throughout the show to other things that are going to happen in approximately a million years and i think i can say this because i think we i've said this on a different episode in the spoiler zone where i mentioned to you that in the far future humans and minbari kind of become like vorlons yeah, and did, I think, yeah. yeah, and I think that happens about a million years. Uh, there will be references in future episodes to how the Vorlon homeworld is off limits for about a million years and other things that take place about a million years. Uh, so when Jason Ironheart says, I'll see you in a million years, he might be referring to the point in the future when humans might have evolved enough to become uh. Vorlon-like. And maybe that's what he's implying is that he is closer to being Vorlon-like in his new state. There could be a relation between those. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally positive that that's what JMS is implying, but that's my educated guess. Okay. So yeah, let's let's get into to Talia Winters a little bit. 
Okay. So, all right. How much do you want to know? Well, I know we see kind of at the end of this episode that he has at least given her the telekinesis powers, maybe in some way has enhanced her, her abilities. But yeah, where does she go from here? Okay, I think we see her use telekinesis at least one more time because I could have sworn that there's an episode where we see her shoot that penny across the room and into a wall. So unless I'm thinking of a different character, then we must see that later on because I'm thinking this one, she just moves it a few inches and then stops. Um, So we see that there will also be an episode later on where she will use some other powers or other than telekinesis that seem to be the result of an enhancement. And another telepath kind of mentions uh, even all of us working together weren't able to do what we just did if it weren't for you. And he's kind of implying there's something enhanced about you. But Andrea Thompson, who plays Talia Winters, does not stay with the show the whole time. So I think I've mentioned before how JMS had trap doors to where if somebody left, somebody else would take over a role. So some of the stuff that involves Talia Winters being enhanced by Ironheart shifts over to the Lita character, Lita uh, Alexander, later on, and she gets enhanced a different way for different reasons. And so she will kind of take over some of the role that Talia would have had. Okay. Okay. Anything else that I need to know kind of out of this episode as as a precursor? I think that's about it. Okay. Okay. So I think with that, we're ready to wrap up this episode of the Discerning Lurkers Portal. Any parting words, Todd, or anything else that we need to know about this episode? I'm just relieved that we got through this whole episode and we could hear each other the whole time and Zencaster didn't <laughs> stop. And so yeah. It's a little longer than we normally would do an episode, but I think we were both so relieved that we were able to do it. We're just going to keep talking and hope that nothing cuts us off. Um, but yeah, thanks for bearing with us for you guys out there listening. And Todd, it's been a pleasure and I can't wait to talk about the next episode with you. Yeah, me too. I'm ready to, ready to get another one in. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, and for all of our listeners out there, continue to do whatever makes you a discerning geek, and check us out on our Discerning Geeks portal and any other podcasts that we're associated with. Yep, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>